actually sat down first service. Somebody said, you said something about your knees. So my knees are shaking this morning, not physically, but like, um, not about stupid pastoral boat thing. Not that that's stupid. Um, A call is important. But uh, just the word of God I've been studying to share with you this morning, uh, what, what God did in the first service with it was special. And and our God's a creator, not a duplicator. And so I don't intend to like duplicate that. I think we'll probably touch on some of the same things as, as the Lord's laid some things on my heart. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting down because, um, I don't know, I just, just might poop my pants and I'm a little worried you might see. I'm, I'm just... A little afraid to, to preach this morning in one sense. I'm very trusting of God. And so um, if they start smelling something and moving, that, there's a lot of reasons we should wear face masks um, in the front row. So, um, you know, we're, we're continuing to study the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we started it at the start of April. Uh, no, we didn't. Right after Easter, we started it. And uh, we're going to continue to go through it. And one of the reasons that we're studying a book of the Bible is sometimes you can go through a, a book. Sometimes as a pastor, you can start preaching about stuff you like to preach about rather than what's there in the book, what's there in the scripture. And so we're actually going to skip chapter 7, but for next week. Um, it's Mother's Day. Chapter 7 is about marriage. thought it might be a, a great um, passage of scripture to look at. It's actually about singleness and marriage. So... Um, I know Mother's Day can be a difficult day for some people to come to church. Um, our church, we, we intentionally think about how, um, how some people can, can feel coming to church on Mother's Day. Either they've lost their mom recently, um, maybe they're aching to be a mom and they're not yet, um, or just, you know, maybe there's some, some issues. We, we intend to, um, to bless you next Sunday morning. And so we'll get back to chapter seven, but I want to look at chapters 8 through 10 with you today, which are really one kind of cohesive discussion that Paul has. And he's writing to a particular church in Corinth. This is what we've said, uh, it's called 1 Corinthians because there's a second letter that Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth that we have in Scripture. But within these books uh, that we call books, these letters to the Corinthians, it talks about different letters as well, that there's actually maybe at least four uh, times that Paul corresponds with this church that he started. He was in this city of Corinth, in Greece, this place, um, a big city, over a half million people with lots of temples to other gods, but they had a Jewish synagogue. And that's where Paul started to tell the Jews, I know who the Messiah is. And so a church has begun in Corinth. But we only hear one side of the letter, right? Like this is not... Um, this is not like an instant message conversation that we hear the back and forth or, or can hear um, what, what's being asked. But we can see from what Paul is answering what they're asking. And so in chapter 8, he, he seems to be responding to a question um, regarding food that has been sacrificed to idols. And like, well, that's not a question I would have. I watch this show um, on YouTube. I've been watching a little, a little too much YouTube, uh, but 
I, I canceled a bunch of our other streaming services, which makes our kids angry. But once you start to see how many different streaming services you can uh, subscribe to, you might look into that. It can be a lot of money. So YouTube's free, right? Um, except you're the product then because they're advertising to you. But um, I subscribe to this channel called Demolition Ranch. Does anybody know what Demolition Ranch is? There's a few people who are cool. Okay. Um, like a million subscribers. Most, most of these videos, this guy updates them weekly. Um, half million views. And he, he kind of has a, a standard format for what he does. And usually it amounts to this. He'll start the video by saying like, some of you were asking how many blocks of Velveeta cheese it takes to stop a bullet. I'm here to answer the question. <laughs> Nobody was asking that question, but it's just, it's kind of like a hillbilly that you get to watch um, and from a safe distance. He blows stuff up, he shoots things, and you don't get damaged. So it's a great thing when you're just, uh, when you're looking for some deep entertainment. No, when you're just eating cheese puffs and want to watch um, a little something on TV, um, Demolition Ranch, check it out, it's pretty cool. Um, but he always pretends, oh, somebody was asking how many cans of pudding it takes to stop a bullet. Nobody's asking that. And when I think about the, the topics addressed in chapters 8, 9, and 10, you may read these at face value and say, Brooks, nobody's asking this. Nobody's asking about food sacrificed to idols. That's not the question. In, in fact, in the last year, nobody has asked me about food sacrificed to idols. But... The answer and the principles here are, are huge because Paul answers questions that deal with our everyday because he's answering questions that they have about their rights. What do I have the right to do? There's questions about their freedom interacting with others. If I have the ability to do this, why should I bother what somebody else thinks? It's questions about relationship between people. It's about questions of conscience. It's about questions of idolatry. And if you don't think that there's idols in our world today, they've done a very good job disguising themselves. Because we put a lot of things before God. We worship a lot of things. We expect to get from some things. These idols deceive us. They destroy us eventually. They disappoint us. And they deter us. They take energy from what we should actually be doing. And so chapters 8 through 10 are really this cohesive discussion. You know, I had never really studied 1 Corinthians in depth before just the last several weeks. I bought a bunch of commentaries and start, start reading and understanding a little bit, a little bit deeper than just having read. How many of you know there's a difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible? A little different, a little different. And so as I was laying out what I'm going to preach, I thought, oh, we'll, we'll take chapter 9, and we'll talk about that, and we'll take chapter 10, and we'll do... But chapters 8 through 10, Paul is laying out together a, a, a conversation about this regarding food that's been offered to idols. We'll talk about what that means entirely. But at the end of that, in chapter 10, is where I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles or go to on your device, on your phone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Starting at verse 23, Paul does something nice. He kind of summarizes. He gets back to, hey, here's what I've been saying the last three chapters. Verse 23. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. Not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned 
for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever's offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might, be a matter, it might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is a memory verse for us. 1 Corinthians 10 31. So, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to the Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too, Paul says, I too try to please everyone in, in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. In verse 1 of chapter 11, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So this question that's brought up of, of food sacrificed to idols, we think very often that this is like an over there problem. Like in places in the world, perhaps third world countries, we, we might imagine in our mind where there's other religious uh, temples or places of worship set up. We don't have a lot of that around here necessarily. We think about that and we go, that's something for over there or that's something for way back in time, this idea of bringing food and sacrificing it to an idol. This is something that would have been going on all over Corinth as there's so many ruins of all of these temples and places where people would go and they would bring something of value kind of strange for us to think. Most of us don't raise animals. We don't think of, of uh, meat being something that, I mean, we value it, right? Like it's, it's good, but we don't think of it as, as a life that we raised from, from birth. We don't think of it as something, you know, even just the, the, the mess and the trouble of offering it as a sacrifice. This is what's going on all throughout Corinth. I mean, the smell of it would have, it's like if you would park, uh, you know, at Dunham's and you come out and it's the dinner hour and Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's and Burger King all hits you at once. You're like, I wasn't hungry before, but this fragrance hits me. And it was something that even the Jews, this isn't just uh, some pagan sort of thing, this polytheistic thing, even for the Jews before Jesus, before his great and ultimate sacrifice for us, they were offering sacrifices to cover their sins and, and very often bringing meat of animals to do this. And so it, one commentator, I think it's N.T. Wright, says about this, uh, this, this stuff going on in Corinth. It was almost like a restaurant, right? Like we're trying to understand what's going on in the first century and try to bring it forward. But more than just understanding, we've got to bring some of the principles that Paul talks here to our day and age. Because there's a lot of idolatry going on. And sadly, there's a lot in the church now, Paul would say to them, because a lot of them, they get saved, right? They begin to follow Jesus and they start to say, well, idols are nothing. These are just 
temples, right? Like these are just, this is just wood and stone. They're not actually praying. Nobody's listening to what's going on. And so some believers were saying, you know, I'm going to go and get some food. Like I'm going to go and hang out with other people. I'm going to go to those social situations at these temples because I know that this is nothing. And so chapter 8 starts with, we all know stuff. But knowledge puffs up, love builds up. In our information age, so many of us think that it's all about what you know. Do you know this? And Paul says, it's not about what you know. It's about how well you love. It's about how well you love. And so this idolatry that was going around was that was going on. It was traditional. It was somewhat even related to your citizenship. At times, you see Paul interacting with these folks who are like, "This guy seems to be defying the emperor. This guy seems to defying to be defying our civic duty." In the city of Ephesus, they're really upset with them there. This was so generally accepted, so common. Paul says it's, it's not just enough to know you're a monotheist. You have to think about other people. Now, some Christians have made a career out of being the weaker person with an oversensitive conscience. They've made a career out of it. They're offended about everything. <laughs> and stop that. But also some people, C.S. Lewis says, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up on a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give, up, give it up. There's a lot of legalists who want everybody else to give up something that maybe God has spoken to their conscience about. The question isn't always, is it a sin against God? The question may be, will this destroy my brother for whom Christ died? Look at verse 10 of chapter 8. This is a question. It's not, oh, do I have the right to it? It's been sickening in the last year to see some of the things that are being revealed in our culture. And what's sad is to see how Christians are interacting with that, clinging to our rights, clinging to not what, what can I do to serve others? What can I do to, to make you comfortable? It's, it's all about preserving, like I should have this ability. Like the Constitution is the 67th book of the Bible. Like somehow that some of what's in the Bill of Rights should also be in the Ten Commandments. When that's not, a cap, that's not a lowercase t. We have that here because Jesus died on a cross. You know how many of his Miranda rights were violated? Do you know how many of his rights to a fair trial? I mean, talk about a kangaroo court. They just jumped to the conclusion that they wanted, and Jesus the whole time had the power to stop it. It wasn't a question of his rights or what he could do. It was a question of sacrifice. And those of us who call ourselves Christians have not been the first in line to sacrifice. Sadly, we've been, we've been worried, not about justice, but about what we want and what we like and what feels comfortable. What smells good, what tastes good, what we want. 
I mean, I've seen more Christians upset about restaurants closing than babies aborted in the last year. Is that, does that sound even close to Jesus? We're, we've been asleep, but this stuff gets revealed. And I'm not saying it started a year ago. It's time for the church to repent. It's time for the church to say, you know what, this, does, this isn't how it should look. And in Corinth, there's people who are like, I have the right to go eat. This is permissible. This is legal for them. And Paul says, that's, that's great. But when somebody who used to always go and worship at this pagan temple sees you going in, they don't have all the knowledge that you do. What's that going to do to them? Now, he makes clear in verse 9, we can't win God's approval by what we eat. It's not about stomach stuff. In verse 12, he says, you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong. You're sinning against Christ. Sometimes we, we don't understand enough about the Christian conscience. We just, like, is it legal in the Bible? Yes or no? Is it a sin? Yes or no? What about our conscience? And then what about even another step of like, what will this do to my brother? In verse 13, this is one of the more mind-blowing statements of, of, of 1 Corinthians. He says, I'll become a vegetarian before I cause my brother to stumble. Now, there's sacrifice. I mean, for those of us who like meat, to say that I will stop eating meat if that causes you to stumble. And I can make all of the case I want, and I can be right about it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But my appetite is not as important as the person to whom, for whom Jesus died. What if we is more important than me? Friends, we are paying dearly for chasing after what is cheap. just going after our comfort rather than going after the cross of Jesus. So Paul says, hey guys, yeah, you could. We know idols, they're nothing. But you shouldn't. Think of somebody else. Something, a phrase that I heard, I don't think it was coined in the last year, but it's this phrase, rules for thee but not for me. Paul, in, in chapter 9, seems to be giving a, a defense speech, but I think it's kind of a mock. I think he's providing an example of self-sacrificial behavior to his audience. Paul has ministered the gospel all throughout the Roman world, and he's done so on his own dime. He, has, he was a tent maker by trade. What all that means, we don't know, because like, it's not like he was like Coleman, like, here's your pop-up tent, but... He had this job to pay for his own expenses, especially in Corinth. Among them, he never accepted one red cent from them. And he says to them, I have the right to it. And he quotes from the Old Testament. You know, Moses said, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. He's like, do you think that Moses is just talking about ox there? If anything, he's, he's got some self-deprecating humor of, of pastors being like an ox, which is maybe not the farthest metaphor or simile. So we have the right to pay. He says, all these other apostles have right to the pay. He, he, he establishes, you know, 
the rights of an apostle is maybe what some of your modern translations have as like a, a title for chapter 9. But really what he is saying, he says in verse 12, I would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Verse 23, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. I sacrifice and you've seen it. I'm not telling you to do something I haven't done. Danielle Strickland, one of the prophets' voices of the church today, says, do we actually follow Jesus? Or did we just decide to do that 20 years ago and now we just kind of work out our lives around a belief system or causes? Or today, today, am I actually following Jesus? Is there anything in your life that you can point to, Christian, you've been a Christian 20 years, 50 years, that you could say, I'm actually making a sacrifice for the gospel. Do you really believe that people will be won over by how little we have to sacrifice? Do you really think that people are going to be won over by how nice you are? I know nice Mormons. I know nice Jehovah's Witnesses. I know nice atheists. I know a lot of mean Christians. Or at least they call themselves that. They don't call themselves mean, but they would call themselves a Christian. Other people are mean. They're nice. What's beautiful is I've seen people who were raised in terrible homes, transformed by Jesus Christ, making a difference in this world, not pretending to be perfect, making a huge difference in this world. Now, there's other people who were born on second base, in scoring position, by nice parents, have all of the opportunities available, but they they do nothing with it. They're nice. But Jesus didn't come to this world to make us nice. He came to make us alive, to make us a holy people. Evangelism is not just being nice, though it might be at the very least. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about himself a little bit there as well. As an example, in verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their cravings, and their glory is in their shame. They're happy about the stuff that is shameful. Their mind is on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our politics come from. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So chapter 10 starts continuing in this discussion by Paul saying, You know what happened before? He actually says to us. Because in the family of faith, what happened even in the time of the Exodus, even when Moses is leading God's people out, say, that's that's kind of our heritage. He says, do you not remember what happened then? He gives a couple of, of examples. He alludes to Moses going up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. And when he comes down, what does he find? They've fashioned an idol out of gold. 
and they're, they're just having sex with each other. Like, I mean, just, just going wild. Because we don't even know where Moses is. Fashion for us. We need to see something. We can't just have this faith. We've got to see something concrete. And so that's what we do with idols. We create something that we can serve and that we think can serve us. And they get into all sorts of nonsense there. Paul says, I've seen this before. It's like a Back to the Future 1 when he's sitting down at the dinner table and they're watching the honeymooners. Says, I've seen this, I've seen this, it's a rerun. Friends, what's, what's happening to the church is going to be a rerun and I know how it goes if we have idols, if we start to say, how close can I get to sin without it burning me rather than how close can I get to God? The scripture here says, everything might be permissible, but everything is not beneficial. Rather than figuring out how close I can get to hell and still be a Christian, why don't we think, how close can I get to Jesus without my face melting off? That's a good direction to go. And instead, our direction is, ah, I would just rather coast. Paul says, you're called to be a holy people. You're, okay, you can, you're allowed to do stuff, but you, in verse 24 of chapter 10, don't be concerned for your own good, but the good of others. And so sad is, we've taken some things that maybe started as okay. They maybe even started with some of God's blessing on them, but now we don't even look for God's blessing anymore. We just look for the cause. And this has been so sad in the last year to see a nasty form of, of nationalism in the United States that some are calling Christian nationalism. And it's, it's, it's bad. And, and these are folks who maybe even gather here or gather in churches like this, and we got to say, no, oh, I, I, I can't, I can't hate, I, I can't cheer for the things that you're cheering for right now. I, I, I can't, I can't be angry about the things that you're angry about right now. We are in error if we think that cultural tra traditions are always harmless. The things coming from professed Christians over the last year has been troubling. Denying truth, suppressing truth, suppressing people, and sometimes literally with a golden statue. And the sad thing is there are many out there who think this is part of standing up for Christ. A.W. Tozer says, grace will save a man, but it will not save him and his idols. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Paul gives the, he says it in chapter 9, I become all things to all people that I might win some. He's not unrealistic about his expectations of himself, that everybody's going to believe, everybody is going to want to follow Jesus. And if we are worried about making the gospel palatable to others, we are. That's, that's not the gospel. To those who are being saved, it's the aroma of life. But to those who are perishing, it's the stench of death. 
But ought we not care about others? Can we be set free from the the malarkey of individualism and my rights and my feelings? And, And become servants of the Most High God. Become shepherds of the chief chief shepherd. Let's pray. Father, wake us up. You've been revealing things. May we listen. May we see. Satan would love to hide behind ideology and say, oh, no, no, that's, that's, that's nothing. But Father, we're in a war. Every time we get up in the morning, every time we speak truth, we are, we are placing light into the darkness. When we live with the fruit of the Spirit, it is an act of defiance against the darkness. Father, would we live in that sort of protest? Father, make us hungry for justice, not just tranquility, not, a, not peace as the world gives. Father, thank you for each other. As we look and, and, and move through the book of 1 Corinthians in the weeks to come, would we see how we're designed for each other? None of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to you, Father. If we die, we're yours. So, Lord, direct us in the days to come. May we live lives of sacrifice. Not as a show, but boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's done for us. And how we're not captive to worrying about what everybody else thinks about us, what is popular, nice, or normal, but what is true. And Father, would we carry it with all of the descriptions of love that are in 1 Corinthians 13. We would have a love that is patient and kind, does not boast, is not proud. Father, forgive us, forgive me for the times... I've been focused on uh, what's in my job description versus a calling from you. So, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Would we start walking in your truth? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.